0: First off, of course, I do want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to preach, and I wish the work over there, and I pray for the work over there that they're doing, that it goes well, and then they come back safely to us. So tonight we are in First Peter chapter one, and we find a theme in this chapter that as we being born again, will grow through suffering, and in the end of that suffering through our life, it'll in the end it will produce joy and holiness. So the title of this sermon tonight is Growing Through Suffering. I know that sounds kind of strange, maybe if you haven't thought about that or seen that kind of concept in the Bible. But we see in this chapter that Peter expounds growing through suffering. And if we look at Peter's life, and most of us know about Peter's life, if you've read any of the Gospels, you know, how he when he first met Christ, he was fumbling with his words. He was very impetuous, and that's acting, you know, Quickly, foolishly, without, without thinking, he would just blurt out things. And I got a kind of a list, and there's more to this list, but uh, of some things that Peter did, because I didn't want to take the time to turn to all these, but uh, if you're familiar with it, not just him, but all the disciples would misinterpret his teachings. They, they, would, they would get them wrong. They always had to keep asking him. Uh, Peter lost faith when he was stepping out, when he stepped out on the water, if you remember that story. He stepped out on the water, and he was good till he took his eyes off Christ. And he failed, and he sunk, and the Lord had to lift him up. He opens his mouth at the Mount of Transfiguration and compares Jesus to Moses and Elijah. And then we have the Father correcting him. So Peter goes through a lot here. And then, obviously, a famous one. He rebukes Jesus when he wants to go to Jerusalem and says, Give behind me, Satan. Another famous one, he denies Christ three times when the Word of God himself looked at him in the eye and said, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. He said, not me. Maybe, maybe these guys over here, but not me. I'm Peter. And then he also, he stops preaching in the book of John and goes back to fishing for fish instead of fishing for men like the Lord told him to. I mean, that's quite the list, kind of picking on Peter a little bit. But the point being is when you read the book of Peter, He's not that same person. You know, when you read this epistle, he's not some ignorant fisherman. I mean, he spent three years in the school of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he failed many times suffering with Christ. And after he left, though, after he left, he still suffered. He suffered for Christ, but you see a change in him. And he was no longer impetuous, but now he was patient. He was no longer fumbling his words but he spoke with confidence and power. And we see that in the book of Acts. It's like, where did this guy come from? You know, the Lord made Peter great, a great servant. And it just didn't happen, though. And see, a lot of times we, we, we forget about those times of Peter's failures. And Peter went through trials, and it produced in him great wisdom. And Peter gives us that wisdom, the Holy Ghost speaking through him that he gets from God. So look at First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one. It says, "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia." See, verse one, we see in this verse who Peter's writing to. And it's important when you're going through a chapter, obviously, to know who he's talking to. And because there's a lot of dispensationalists out there that say that Peter's talking to Jews that were spread out; they were, they left Jerusalem and they're in these churches. But we're gonna I'm gonna prove to you here that that's just not the case. We see who Peter is dressing, and these churches are, they're in an area, they're Gentile churches in an area known as Asia Minor. Today it would be Turkey. But look at verse 2. Verse 2, because this is the big deal. Verse 2, it says, elect. See that word, elect? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. See, in, in verse 2, Peter calls them elect, and elect just seems to means, simply means chosen. And a lot of people take that word, and they do a lot of things with it. The Calvinists will say, well, they were elected to be saved. Um, like I said, dispensationalists will say that this is talking about Jews. It can't be talking about Gentiles because they're not elect. But keep your spot. Actually, you're only going to flip over one chapter. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and it makes it clear who he's talking to. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light." Verse 10, don't miss it, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Go back to chapter 1. See, Peter's trying to speak to these Gentile believers and trying to tell them, you, you know, you're not a second-class citizen. And anyone who was ever in a dispensational church, I remember I started in one. I didn't even know what it meant at the time. But you, you do. You actually feel like you want to become like, a, you know, a physical Jew because the way they, they praise that. And you just feel like, man, I'm like some kind of second-class citizen here. But see, Peter's trying to tell them, that's not the case. You are, you are now elect. If you want to see replacement theology right here, this is it. That the, you are now chosen. You are now part of the family of God because you're saved. Not because God elected you to be saved, but you, you're going to be elected to do great works and to serve God and to be used by God because you're saved. Look at verse 3. Blessed... Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you begotten, what's that mean born again? We've been born unto a lively hope. What's that mean a living hope? You know, our hope is alive. Our God's alive. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And sometimes we get, we get down as we go through things and we need to be encouraged, and Peter's trying to encourage them. It's like, you, you'd, you've been born again, and maybe you don't really realize what you've been given. Because you've been brought into God's family, we now receive an inheritance. We receive an inheritance. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith Unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. See, four different words in there. It says incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away. A reserved, they're reserved in heaven. And see, what's that mean? It's nothing's going to happen to your inheritance, and it's already reserved. The day you got saved, there's, God says, I have something waiting for you. And I don't think we rejoice in that enough because we get wrapped up in such the carnal Christian life, but it's there. And it's, it's kept for you. Look at verse 5. Kept by the power of God. And since your inheritance is kept, guess what? Your salvation is kept also. Yeah. And I don't understand how people can believe that they could lose it. Because what happens? was he? I have the inheritance. Now I don't. I have the salvation. Now I don't. And what's God just keep moving it in and out? in it? No, it's confusion. And see, this is clearer. And Peter's trying to tell them at this time and telling us, it's all, look to that inheritance. It, it's it's a done deal. The day you got saved, you have an inheritance, and you're kept. Because if we weren't kept by the power of God, everyone would lose it, right? When someone says, oh, well, you got to keep the commandments. Like, well, if that's the case, guess what? None of you are going. I'm not going. Because we, we're not going to keep the commandments. And I'm going to talk about that later. We should. But the thing is, God knows that we can't. So his power has to keep us. So we have that in reserved inheritance. So the first kind of point or Thing I want you to pull out of this though, because it leads into verse six. Suffering produce suffering produces joy. Okay, and you say, Well, how's that even possible? Look at verse six. Because it says, look, it says, where ye greatly rejoice. And we just sang that great song. I don't know if they knew what I was preaching, but God knew. Because we're going to talk about gold, we're going to talk about all of it. But look at this. Greatly rejoice in what? In that inheritance. And in that heritage you, you know that you have it if you're born again when you greatly rejoice, but look, though now for a season, see that? Season, what is that? That's a time. And you don't know how long that time is, but for a season, and this is key too, look, if need be. You ever wonder why some people go through certain things and some people don't? And you say, well, why do they go through that and these people don't? And let's see, if need be. If need be, for a season, everyone is different, and God knows this. Everyone's going to go through different things. Look, if need be, for a season, look, you're in heaviness through manifold. See that word manifold? It just means many. Drop the I-F-O-L-D and put a Y on it. It means many. That's how I remember it. It means many. Temptations, test. Think of test. So many tests, many trials are believers going to go through. We're going to go through it. And see, most of us, if not all of us, we don't like to go through suffering. I don't like to go through suffering. I don't like looking at the prayer list and knowing that people in here are going through suffering. I don't like it. And most of the time, in my mind, in my carnal mind, I want to end it. When I see something, someone's going through pain, so I go, I just God, just stop it. So I had to change my prayer. Because the more I grew and the more I learned about this concept, I was like, no, Lord, help them to go through it, and may your will be done. Help them to go through it. Because, see, on God's end, and see, God don't think like us. God's like, no, 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 don't take it away. No, it's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for me. And I'm not talking about if you're, you know, if you're, if you're in sin, if you're in like, yeah, and you know what I'm talking about. If you're in adultery, you're in fornication, you're, you're out doing things that you clearly know or would get you thrown out of church or you, or you wouldn't want pastor knowing about, Right? or deacon knowing about it. It's like, no, don't, don't let them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're, you're living the life. I mean, you're striving to walk in the spirit. You're three to thrive. You're a faithful soul winner. You're serving in the church. You tithe. You read your Bible. You pray. You memorize scripture. I mean, you're loving on the brothers and sisters. You're doing all that. And like Job said, though, but heaviness comes. And then the trials come. And the chastening comes. Why? Why is that? Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Keep something in 1 Peter, but go to Hebrews chapter 12. Why is that? It's like, isn't my life supposed to be good? That's what the false prophets tell you. They go, you put money in the plate, everything will be good. You'll never get sick. You'll be healthy. Your family will be good. Everything will be right in the eyes of men. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now, no chastening, for the present seemeth to be, look, joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it, what's the it? The chastening. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are, look, exercised thereby. See, you notice that verse doesn't say that God's love brings the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But his chastening does. His his correction his looking at his children and saying, yeah, you might think you're doing everything right, but I have some things in you. I see some things in you that I need to get out of you. And see, you know, sometimes we don't understand that. So when I want to preach tonight, when something comes into your life, no matter, it might be big to you or small to you, and someone's looking at your life, and you might, they might not think it's a big deal, but it might be a big deal to you. But something comes into your life to try you, to test you. Remember, God has allowed it. If I'm coming to church and someone killed me, shot me in the head, I got hit by a drive-by, straight stray bullet, something, something random. You, what in the world? How could that happen? Thing, weird things happen. If that happened, you realize God allowed that? God allowed it. God allowed it. For some reason, I, I wouldn't understand. You might not understand, but there, there's some reason why God would allow something like that. So when we go through things, you, you have to embrace it. And remember, God says, if you know, there could be a sparrow. Nobody's around. Somewhere right now, there could be a sparrow in the woods that falls to the ground. God knows about it. God doesn't miss it. So God knows what you're going through. And see, there's things in me and things in you that God wants to get out of this, right? But pain and suffering, pain and suffering is how he does that. And pain is a gift. The few like to receive. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. And Peter gets into being tried. In the chapter we're in, but he also, there's a famous verse in chapter 4 I want you to see. I know you guys know it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is a try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But look, rejoice, and as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. See, one day at your judgment seat, you're going to be glad for all those trials that you went through that you did not bring upon yourself. God brought them on you, and you went through them, if you're at 1 Peter, go back to 1 Peter, chapter, verse 7. 1 Peter, verse 7. And Peter gets into it in this chapter. He says, verse 7 that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, when the Lord comes back, you will be thankful for the trial. Right now, you're not thankful for the trial. And I, and I get it. It's, it's hard. The Christian life's hard, but you know what? Being a transgressor, not in the Christian, being saved and not living the life is even harder. It's harder. So you're better off being with God in the trial, being with God in the storm, right? So when you see the Lord, you'll be thankful. But see, and not just for the things you do for the servant, the service that you do for the Lord, but like I said, the things you go through. Your faith put on trial See, Peter gives us a great illustration here. You know, after gold is mined, I looked up gold, a little bit about gold. After gold is mined, it's put in what's called a smelter. And in this smelter, it's basically a red-hot furnace, for the purpose is not to destroy the gold, but it's to purify it. It's to remove the impurities in the gold. And you guess what you're left with? You're left with pure gold. And see, God has to put you and I sometimes in the furnace, Not to destroy us or to hurt us, but God wants pure gold. God wants pure gold, and that's the way he's going to get it. This is what develops Christian character. You know, that dross, the waste that is in it, it gets gets removed, and the precious gold appears. And that's God's method. That's God's school. And that's how he gets you to be mature. There's no shortcuts to it either. There's no shortcuts to it. You, you, You have to go through it. You can't get the impurities out without going through the heat and through the pressure of it. That's God's method. In verse 8, it says, Whom ye having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, look, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Sounds like a song. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. That's, that's the attitude we should have going through our suffering. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In the end of your life, you will rejoice when you see the Lord, if you go through the suffering. And look, here's the key part of it, though. You can't quit. Don't quit. See, people, sometimes when they go through things, and it happens, and I get it. Some people go through some horrible things. It, they quit or they get angry at God. They get angry at God and they get out of church. They get angry at God. Yeah, I used to be a Christian. And they start actually talking like that. I mean, they're still saved, but they they get really bitter and they don't go through the trial well. They kind of go through the trial in their flesh. And so many people quit on God. And the Lord, you know, Peter quit on God. The Lord had to come to Peter in John chapter 21 and warm his backslidden heart. Because he stopped doing what the Lord called him to do, and I'm sitting there thinking, "This is Peter. This is the first pope." No, just kidding. He wasn't. But I'm saying, look at that. Peter lit, that Peter gets lifted up. He gets lifted up, and Peter never really lifts himself up. But Peter gets high praise, like he's the leader of the apostles and all this stuff. But Peter, what I love about Peter, and actually just doing a whole study on his failures, I mean, you could you can learn a lot from that. But so many people quit on God, and you got to stay in You got to stick with it. Stick with it. Like I said, if God's allowing it, you got to stick with it. Look at verse 10. Of the salvation, the prophets have inquired, and look, search diligently, who prophesies of the grace that should come unto you. See, they were looking for Christ coming, and, they were, and they're sitting there, Isaiah and those guys, they're, they're searching diligently, trying to figure this out. I mean, they know saved by grace, but they're, they're, they're trying to figure this out. And this, the salvation, they worked hard at it to figure out and get the insights. And we understand it. We're, we're at a point in time where we understand it. Look at verse 11. This is interesting. Searching what or what manner of time. Don't miss this. I, I've read over this many times. I didn't really catch it. The Spirit of Christ. You see that? The Spirit of Christ was in them. Not just the Spirit of God. It actually says the Spirit of Christ. Jesus Christ was in the Old Testament prophets, did signify and testify beforehand the sufferings of Christ and that the glory should follow. You see that? Christ suffered. They could see it. Christ suffered and then came glory. Suffer and then glory. That's that's the way. That's the way it's going to be. It was the way for our Lord. It's going to be the way for us. We are down here in this sinful, cursed world. We're going to go through suffering, but God's going to turn it like he does and use it to make us better for him. That's what God's going to do. But the Old Testament prophets had great interest in the suffering of Christ, the glorification of Christ. But this also, you know what this means? They wrote by the Spirit of Christ, which means the Old Testament was inspired. If anyone says it wasn't inspired by God, it was in the prophets that were writing. Look at verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister to things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things, look, the angels desired to look into. See, now we got angels looking at our salvation, looking at this thing, and Peter's saying, do you realize what you've been given to these Gentile churches? I, and I think, because especially if you're in a church like this, you've been saved maybe a while, and you, you have that security, and bless God that you do, you should have that security in your salvation. But sometimes with that, I think we feel, and Peter's kind of letting these guys know, it's like, you, you don't really remember or you really aren't in touch with what you've been given, what the Lord has done for you, what, what's happened to your life because you're, maybe you're going through something and then you tend to forget that. You tend to forget what God has done for us. What has he given us? Everlasting life with an internal inheritance. Everlasting life with an internal, internal inheritance which should produce, through that suffering, should produce joy. But number two, Suffering in your life will produce holiness. He goes into verse thirteen. Verse thirteen: Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. See that all through the Bible. And we know I'm not going to go about the alcohol and the weed, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. We know all about your stay away from it, kids. Stay away from it. It's going to destroy you. And if you need a few, it doesn't take long to figure that out. Just go talk to some old person that drank and his liver's falling apart. It doesn't take long to figure that out. But with also what it means is to be serious. The Christian life, yes, we want to have fun, but it is a serious thing. Because if you're really in this thing and you're in a kind of church, you need to be serious because you have a target on your back because this church is serious about the things of God. This church is serious about getting God's message out, and it gets some kind of attention from the world. But We know who's behind that. The God of this world is behind that. You're going to get some attention, so you need to be serious, but look, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we're looking for the the rest of our salvation, meaning that we have that that down payment. And we're going to get the glorified body eventually, and then we'll sin no more. That's what we're looking for. Verse 14. Look, as obedient children, you're a child of God. Everyone wants obedient children. God wants obedient children. Look, not fashion yourself according to the former lust and your ignorance. And see, if you were saved later in life, you know this is true. You know this is true because you, you, know, you did things that went against the word of God, and you didn't know it. You did it out of ignorance, but it was still sin. It still wreaked havoc in your life, it, you know, and it still could today. I mean, you could have scars from that because the thing is, sin always produces that in someone's life. But look, Peter's saying now, it's like, you don't, don't be living that way now. Don't fashion your life that way now. Verse 15, but as he that hath called you is holy, so, ye, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. What's that mean? All manners of your life, how you live your life, all areas should be holy and pleasant to God. Because don't we call him Heavenly Father? Do we not? We call him Heavenly Father. So if we're going to take on that position as a son, being adopted in the family of God, we should emulate and mimic our Father. And what is he? He is holy. He has standards he wants things done a certain way. He wants us to act a certain way, to carry ourselves a certain way, to think a certain way. There's a lot he expects, just like you expect things from your children. You want your children, you want the best for your children. God's telling us here that don't fashion yourself after the way that you were before you were saved, but live the new life. Live a way, because I'm holy. And that's why you need to be in church. That's why you need to not miss church. That's why you need to be reading your Bible. That's why that stuff's preached to you, because God knows it's good for you, and it's going to make you more like him. Verse 16, it says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. You know, if anyone, if anyone was able to follow the commandments of God, think about this. If anyone was able to follow the commandments of God, you and I should be able to do it. If anyone, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. Do we not? We do. You have an indwelling. We should be able to follow the commandments of God, to keep the commandments of God. You don't have to turn there. In Romans 3.31, it says, do we then make void the law through faith? And Paul says, God forbid, yea, we establish the law. See, if anyone should be able to cling to that, because isn't that what the world expects? They look at Christians like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. And that's, what's weird as they know it. <laughs> they don't read the Bible, but people know, you, you, people know from their heart, this is wrong, this is right. And when they look at a Christian, someone that goes around professing Christ, and when we act like them, they know it. They know it. So this is where I say, if we have that spirit, and pastors have been preaching to us about walking in the spirit, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you will be able to keep those commandments of God. And we know we're not perfect, but it is something that, in the end of this sermon, we should be growing too, growing in that direction. Because what's the reason? He doesn't want you just to be holy, to be holy. What's the reason that he wants you to be holy? You know, because the holy you are, the more set apart you are, the more not of the world you are, he can use you more. He can put you to work. You're, you're not going to get in a way of him using you is why you were left here in the first place. So, you know, we need the, Fear that. You know, when people fear God, sometimes they fear him in the wrong way. Because you know, remember, he paid a high price for you and I to be saved. You go to Matthew 25, verse 14. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 6:20. You go to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When you got saved, yes, we know you can do whatever you want after you're saved. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to stop your sins. You could, you could live just the same way. But is that what God wants? That's not what God wants for you. God wants, he says, you, you belong to me now. I want to change you. I want to purify you. I want to mold you. In Matthew 25, we have a parable, which I'm going to read it because I know you guys like the Bible. I'm going to read it. Because it it shows something about individuals that were given. And when you got saved, God gave you stuff. God gave you abilities, and he wants you to use them for him. And this parable is kind of a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ leaving, and he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he has expectations. Look at verse 14 of Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. See, Jesus left, when he went back to heaven, he left every believer with the Holy Spirit of God to do the work of God. Verse 15, and unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two, but he that had received one still received something, but only one. He went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I've gained beside them five more. Look at the Lord's response. He said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into, don't miss it, the joy of thy Lord. The Lord is happy with the servant. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into, look, the joy of thy Lord. Also pleased, verse 24, not so good. Then he, which had received one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And look, and I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, thou hast, that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reaped where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore have put my money to the exchangers, that at my coming, see that at his coming, the Lord's coming, I shall have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance. For... But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. See, our Lord's coming back one day. It's guaranteed if you didn't know that. It's written down. And since it's written in the word, you could bank on it. Amen. It's just a moment in time. It's already been slated. Our Lord's coming back. And one day you and I will kneel before our king. You're going to kneel before your king. And what's he going to say? What's he going to say to you? Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. What's he going to say? Because he, he expects, he leaves us here to work. He's given you things. So some people say, well, I can't do anything. That's just not true. Right. That's just not true. If you're saved, he left you here or he would take you home. He could take you home right now. But if he doesn't, he's left you here for a purpose. And that's where you need to get in a good church and serve in a good church. And it's all important. Whether you're cleaning the building, whether you're knocking doors, whether you're preaching a sermon, whether you're running the audio, whatever you're doing, you're, you're, you're going and following up, you're going to the hospital, helping people, being there, people. Whatever you're doing, if you're all doing it in the name of the Lord and you're doing it, you're serving God, it has value to him. Amen. So look at verse 18 of First Peter chapter 1. See, because for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. See, you weren't re- redeemed with just money, this earth, because look, he compares it to silver and gold of this earth as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the tradition of your fathers. So you're not redeemed with things of this earth. You were not redeemed by some religious system. You weren't redeemed because you're Baptist, right? I mean, I'm glad I'm a Baptist because we believe the Bible. But look, you weren't redeemed. There's a lot of Baptists that are gonna wake up in hell because you know what? They are not born again. But the thing is, you're not redeemed with those type of things. Look at verse 19. What are you redeemed with? Redeemed with, Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Because without Christ's blood, there's no salvation. And anytime, just so you guys who listen to other preachers, anytime you hear a preacher start attacking the blood or dismissing the blood, it says, no, it's only the death of Christ that matters. No, the, the blood is key. He had to bleed out, the blood had to be shed. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You need the shedding of blood. It's important. That's what you were redeemed with. That's what I was redeemed with. Verse 20, look, who verily was ordained, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. See, Christ was always going to be slain. You know why? Because there's no other way. You ever have someone talk to you when you're out of some way and go, how do you know you got it right? Out of all the religions in the world, you got it right. You guys are right. How are you right? Because I go, because there's no other way. There's literally no other way because all other religions teach works in some shape or form. They teach works. They don't have the blood. They don't have a savior. There's no other way. Even Jesus in his flesh said, Father, if this cup can pass from me. But he knew there's no other way. From the foundation of the world, Christ was going to be slain. Verse 21, of whom? By him do you believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith, and hope might be in God. See, our faith and hope should only be in God because if you put it in anything else, it's gonna let you down. If you're going through the trial and you put your faith in man, if you put your faith in a religion, you put your faith in some kind of other system, you're gonna be let down. You'll be let that man will let you down. Things of this earth will let you down. Verse 22, seeing you have, look, purified your souls and obeying the truth and don't let that obeying the truth mess you up. I've had people take me there and say, right there, you got to keep the commandments. No, look, look at the context. Obeying the truth through the Spirit. See, that's how your soul gets purified. You obey the truth. What's that? Believing the gospel. And then you get the Spirit of God. That purifies your soul. Believing the gospel. Because Jesus says, you must believe on me. You must believe on me. There's no other way. Look, verse 23, being born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. See, not only must you hear the word of God to be saved, which you must, the word, and this word will never die. That's what the verses said. We must hear the word of God to become holy. Just because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, it doesn't just force yourself upon you, because then everyone would be here soul winning Saturday. Everybody. You wouldn't have a choice. The Holy Spirit goes, hey, that's where God wants me to be. We're going to be here. Oh, you're going to pick up your Bible in the morning because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. You're not going to watch this or do that or go there because the Holy Spirit doesn't want to do those things, but it doesn't work that way. So that's why you need preaching. That's why you need Bible reading. That's why you need all of it. You need all of it. Because look, time is short. Verse 24, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. What happens to the grass? It gets mowed down. It can be burnt. It can dry up. It can die. Your spirit won't die, but your flesh will die. And actually, praise God for that, because the day your flesh dies, you won't sin again. Amen. Peter's in heaven, and he's, he'd never, he'll never sin again because his flesh is somewhere here on this earth, right? When the flesh dies, we will be complete. So with that, all flesh is grass. Time is short. It's short. We need to be focused on the eternal. Verse 25, But the word of God, or the word of the Lord, endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. See, God is his word, and the word is God, and they are eternal. Forever. Never going to end. The gospel is preached unto you. And you're, if you're saved here tonight, someone did that for you. Can you go back there in your mind? Go back there in your mind. should be quick. It's important to you, right? Go back to your mind. Remember that day? You remember that day? Someone did that for you or some, many people. I was like that. I had many people involved in myself. So I didn't have like one person knock on my door and, I had a pastor preach me the gospel. I had people talk to me. I had my wife going to a church and convicting me. I, there's a lot of things that go into that, but can you do that for someone else? And not just on Saturday. I mean, we run into people all the time. Can you have a burden for that? Can you do that for somebody else? You know, so what's Peter teaching us? That since you and I have been born again to a lively hope and adopted into the family of God, have an internal inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Go through the suffering and allow it by the grace of God and the spirit of God to change you, Amen. to produce. Produce something in your life. Produce that joy. Did you ever wonder how Paul, like when they're singing in the prison, Paul's always getting beat and he's in prison. Peter, they're in prison and they, they say, we're, we're joyous. You read that and you go, how is that possible? See, because Peter gets it. Peter gets it. Peter went through it and so you've got to go through it sometimes to get it, but go through your suffering. Don't try and stop your suffering. You say, that's weird. I know, I'm talking about suffering that you, I go, Lord, I, I'm doing what, I, I'm living the life. Why am I going through it? Because I'm going to talk about it here in a minute. You, you I don't know where you're at. Go to Job 40. I'm going to read Second Corinthians 12:9. Very, you guys know this verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul, in this, he was, he was asking, remember? He has an impediment probably with his eyes or something. He's asking the Lord to take it away, and God's all, no. And it's like, well, we're, well if, he could, if you took that away, Lord, he'd serve you better. He could probably be more efficient, right? But see, who knows better? God's like, no, Paul needs this. Paul, you've seen things that if I didn't keep you keep this on you, have Satan on you like this, you would get exalted. And he says that, I would be exalted above measure. If you're in Job 40, I'm gonna read one more verse, another famous verse. Job twenty-three, ten, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. As you see, Job went through it. Job, Job knew something about suffering. And when you and I have been tried and tested by God, in the end, you will be as gold. And what does that mean for God? You'll be highly usable and highly valuable to God. To be used for what? To work for God. God's I can use you when you have a strong marriage. I can use you when your family's tight. And everything's good in your home, when you don't have a bunch of sin in your home. I can use you when you're not on drugs and alcohol. I can use you. And you could still serve God in those capacities, but God's saying, I can get the most out of you if you're holy, if you're set apart. But you know what? As we go through things, sometimes we stand in the judgment of God. We actually start standing in the judgment of God. And Pastor was ripping on this Sunday morning. And, you know, we're not the question God what he allows and what he does not allow in your life. You're not, you're not to do it. You're not to do it. And anytime I start thinking like that, and I have thought like that, I'm sure I'll think like that again. But we're not, we're not to challenge God in this way. Because when I start thinking like this, I go to Job 40. And this is a beautiful passage to put anybody in their place. Because Job gets put in his place. Look at Job 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Question. He that reproveth God, let him answer it. I mean, this is God actually speaking to Job. And look, God saying, you're gonna, you're gonna contend with me? You, you know I'm the Almighty, right? Maybe you forgot that, Job. You're gonna reprove me? Look at verse 2, then Job answered, or verse 3, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. Oh, what a great response. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my, my hand upon my mouth. Isn't that a beautiful statement from Job? Because before, before God showed up, Job was like, yeah, if he was here, I would ask him this. And he wasn't being, you know, he wasn't sinning against, he just, he wanted an answer. But when he actually had the opportunity He said, I'm vile. I'm going to cover my mouth. Verse 5 says, once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Oh, that's a great response. That's what made Job great. He humbled himself quick. Look, verse 6. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, because God's not done. Verse 7. Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Don't miss it. Here, verse 8. Look at this. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Question. Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? So think about that. When you start questioning God the way that we question him about things in our life, that's what you're saying. You're saying, the judgment that you're putting on me, God, you're wrong. That's what you're saying. And that's what God's saying. And you're condemning God in the sense that you're saying, I'm more righteous than you because I don't think this is right. It's not what I'm, I'm... Lord, I'm serving you. I'm doing all these things, and I'm going through this. And, but God's saying, when you do that, this is what you're doing. You're saying, my judgment is wrong, and you're saying that you're more righteous than me. Look, God's saying that God, and God's saying that God's like, you know what? I'm always right. I'm always right. Verse 9, has thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Because now he tells Job, can you do this stuff, Job? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. Array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold, everyone that is proud, and obey him. God's saying, can you do that stuff, Job? Verse 12, look on everyone that is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. God's saying that if you could do all that, Job, you could save yourself. You don't need me. What would you need me for? But God says you're not. You're not a God. You're a man. And he, Job got put in his place, and you and I, time to time, need to get put in our place. God is saying to Job and to you and to me, if you could do all those things, you would be me. But you're not me, Job. You're just a man. Because we got to get this through our head. Get it through your head. Listen to me. God is right all the time and every time. God is right all the time and every time. And what he allows suffering into your life and you don't understand it, trust him. Trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, you don't have to turn there. Very, we all know this verse, but, but listen to the verse for once in your life. Listen, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. Means you don't understand and you're not gonna understand it And I like what Pastor said to us last week. He said, stop trying to make decisions. You're not good at it. Let God do it. Let the word of God do it. And he said, if you don't know what it says, find someone that knows what it says and go to it and lean on it. Because remember what you've been given. If if God's your father, this is him. This is his book. You go to him. We go to him through the suffering. Don't say, Lord, help me through this suffering. Lord, help me through it. What's it going to produce? It's going to produce joy in the end. Be like Paul. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. Right? The power of resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. If you want to be like Christ, you're going to suffer because he suffered when he was here. Later on, you're going to rule and reign, but now we're going to suffer. But think about that inheritance. Focus on that inheritance. Focus on what we've been given. And see, this will help you be mature. You'll, you'll, you'll mature as a Christian. But you're never gonna mature as a Christian if you try and stop the suffering. Right. So when I hear you going through something, I change my prayer. I go, Lord, help him. Help her. Help them go through it. And you do, Lord, what's best. You do, because I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And you that'll give that'll bring you peace Amen. when you give it over to God. When you take on, see, we take sometimes we take on because we we think we we think we're more sufficient than we are and we're not. There's, there's nothing good about you. The only thing good about you is that you got born again, and the Spirit of God moved into you. And me, that's what we think we're more sufficient in ourselves. We can do it. No, you let God do it. But suffering also produces that holiness, a proper fear of God. Proper fear. What's that mean? Fear when he comes back that you didn't do what you're supposed to be doing for him, just like in that parable. Because if I could ask God anything right now, I wouldn't ask him about heaven. I wouldn't ask him about my inheritance. I'd ask him, how am I doing now? How am I doing? Are you pleased with me now? Because if he's pleased with you now, you're on the right track. But we kind of know if you're living by the commandments and you're following the commandments, you already know the answer to that. We we know it. You know if you're living the life, if you're striving. And then you develop that service for God. You won't show up the soul winning because you have to. You'll show up because you actually have a burden and you actually care because the Lord cares. The Lord cares about those sick people out there. He cares about them. And to be honest, I tell people out the door all the time, I go, before I got saved, I could care less about you. I'm, I'm honest. I go, I was so full of pride. And so I go, if you're on drugs, I remember my wife's cousin came over and he was like, because he was in this fundamental church. and I go, you're in that job and... I go, whatever, but he was smoking. He goes, yeah, I got victory over smoking. And my pride It's like, yeah, you need that religion thing. You need that, all right? But there's someone like that in every walk of life out there, and they're not going to come in here. You're going to have to go out and get them. You're going to have to go out and get them. Now, that a lot of people aren't going to come. A lot of people might not even want to hear the gospel, but that's not, that's not on you. What is going to be on you, whatever the Lord gave you, and you went and buried it, because you're busy with other stuff, or you're afraid, or whatever the reason, he's going to have some words for you. Yes, you'll be in heaven, but come on, we want to bow before our king in a good spirit. We want to bow before our king saying, hey, I gave it. Like Paul said, I finished my course. I finished my race. Ecclesiastes 7, 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So, Peter was better for the Lord in the end of his life. Why? Because he failed. He failed a lot. I gave you a list, and there was more. I just thought another one while I was preaching. Remember when he was washing the feet? And he goes, you're not washing my feet. You're telling God what to do again, Peter. Stop telling God what to do. See, see, Peter learned at the end of his life, I'm just going to let you lead. I'm going to let you lead, and I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. Peter grew through suffering through his failures. And you and I need to do the same. And in the end of our life, we will have the joy and holiness. But if you want it now in the trial, take your focus off your trial and focus more on the eternal. Focus more on the inheritance. Amen. So how about you? Are you going to leave here and say, yeah, that was great. The Bible's great. And you're going to just go back to doing what you're doing before. Or are you going to the next trial that comes? You might be in one now. But like Pastor says, we go through storms, right? You're either in a storm, a storm's coming, you're coming out of a storm. Sometimes you get a little bit of a calm, but guess what? The next one's coming. And God's going to use it. If you didn't bring it through your sin, God's going to use it to purify you and make you better for him because that's what he wants. And remember, he gets what he wants if you and I will submit to it. So I'll leave you with this. End your Christian life better than you started. Amen. Remember that. Try and end your Christian life better than you started. So don't end your Christian life backslidden, right? End it better than you started. And you know where you're at. Everyone knows where they, when they got saved and how you progressed and where you backslidden and you got back. So, but how are you going to do that? You're going to do it growing through allowing the suffering. Allow God to work on you, basically. Right? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the trials, Lord. And I know we don't like to go through them, but we know in the end it'll produce in us what you want. And Lord, I do thank you for everything you allow us to do and allowing us to serve you, Lord. And I pray you bless the rest of the night. And I pray you bring everyone here for soul many on Saturday, Lord. Just continue to bless the pastor in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.